0: This week we are continuing our series, The Truth About, and you are joining us for part five of this series. And our goal in this series is to lean into some of the big topics, some of the tense, controversial topics that are facing us, facing our culture, and begin to lean into these things and dive into them from a biblical perspective and say, what does scripture have to say about some of these things? And we're imagining a conversation where as if Jesus were with us and, and, and we were to say, Jesus, I mean, our world is crazy. There's, there's so much chaos and there's uh, all kinds of things that divide us as people. What do you have to say about things like guns and, and politics and race and refugees and things like that? And we imagine Jesus leaning in with us and saying, well, you know, the truth about and then filling in the blank for us. We realize, and we've been saying that we are at the intersection of a cultural storm, a storm that we don't really see subsiding anytime soon, where the waves are getting a bit taller, the winds are blowing a bit stronger. And we want to lean in as a community of Jesus followers and say, how do we respond? How should we be engaged in some of these things? So today we're going to talk about politics. And there was much rejoicing. Okay, quick poll, quick poll. Just by raise of hands. How many of you have been tracking, following along, watching the debates, keeping uh, your you know, eyes on the news and everything that's going on? Raise your hands. How many of you are tracking along with the political process going on right now? Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good number. How many of you have watched all of the debates? Like, you're all in, all the way. Anybody? Man, there's a true American right there. That's good for you. That's awesome. That's incredible. That's impressive. I I can't even say that. Okay, how many of you are looking forward to Super Tuesday? How many of you are like, what is Super Tuesday? Yeah, okay, good. That's great. That's great. Okay, so Super Tuesday— This maybe means a little bit more to me coming from Georgia because Georgia participates in it. But Super Tuesday is a collection of uh, the primaries. So, so far, you know, we've had these candidates and they've been going on the debate stage and they have gone through the primary process at individual states. And we had uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, Uh, The Democrats last night just had theirs in South Carolina. Well, Tuesday, Super Tuesday, is a collection of states that will be holding their primaries or caucuses all at the same day. There's actually 11 states that will be voting Republican and Democrat on Tuesday, and then a handful of states that will be doing individual Republican or Democrat. So this is a really, really big day. There are a lot of uh, delegates that are up for grabs. In fact, just coming out of Tuesday, um, on the Republican side, there is about 24% of the total delegates available will be available Tuesday. On the Democratic side, it's about 21-22%. So, kind of a big deal. There might be a little bit of a reaction after Tuesday. How many of you are just so looking forward for this whole thing to be over? Okay, yeah, all the ladies in the house. Good job. That's like, I'm so tired of my husband talking about this stuff. It's annoying. Well, listen, my um, last night I was, I was, um, we were having dinner with the family and decided I wanted to try a little bit of an experiment with my kids. So I pulled up some of the debates on YouTube and decided I wanted to get my kids to watch this with me to get their interpretation and, and some of their reactions to some of this debate stuff. And so I set it up for them and, and I said, hey, listen, I want you to watch a video. And this video is a group of people that are having a meeting. They're, they're, they're all gathering together for a meeting and they're having a discussion about some things. And I'd love for you guys to watch it and let me know what you think about their meeting. You know, they know their dad goes to meetings. They understand that means something. So they go, okay, sure. Yeah, that, that sounds fun. So turn on the video and we dive in and we start watching. So I let the video roll for about uh, five minutes and they're just watching and their, their eyes are kind of getting a little big and, you know, I'm just watching them looking for any reaction. And, you know, there's a number of like, why are we watching this kind of moments that I'm definitely feeling from them. And so after about five minutes, I shut it down and I just say, Hey um, guys, what do you think? Like what, what stood out to you? Now Caleb, who's almost nine, he knew that I was preparing for this morning, so he's like, I'm out, like crosses his arms, like, you're not getting any material from me, no way. (laughs) So he he goes into lockdown mode, which is which is fine. Uh, Jeremiah, who we call Jay, he's seven, and then Reagan, our daughter, she's five. They dive right in, and, and and Jay says, they were so mean to each other. Yeah, no, that that's that's a good observation. And Reagan jumps, yeah, they weren't nice. It was not. It was not nice people. The way they talk to each other. Said, yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and Jay says, "Yeah, they they kept interrupting each other. It's it's not it's not good to interrupt each other." Like that, and finally Caleb, who's our big like rules follower, you know he can't handle it anymore, and he jumps and he goes, yeah. They kept interrupting each other, and that that man that seemed like he was in charge told him they needed to stop and they needed to follow the rules, and they didn't follow the rules. They just kept interrupting each other, and that really frustrated me. I didn't I didn't like that at all. Uh, yeah, no, that those are great observations. That's that's good. So we talked a little bit about it, and you know character and you know, what it means to have good conversation, to be a good listener, those kinds of things. And, you know, cool, teachable moment. And so then I explained to them, you know, who these people were. These people are running to be the next president of the United States. And I promise you, honest to God, you can ask Erica. Caleb shoots right back and goes, are those all the options? (laughs) Oh, how many agree with Caleb? I mean, come on. No, you don't have to raise your hand on that. <laughs> uh, we'll elect him in 30 years or something. I don't know. He's, he's a smart kid. Well, it has been said that religion and politics don't mix. But Is that really true? Can we have political views that are outside of the considerations of our Christian faith? I don't believe that we can. But how should we lean into such a divisive topic? A topic that has been pulling people apart for centuries. You bring politics up, and it's just like, oh, please don't do that. Well, I want to look at the scriptures, and I want to look at what Jesus has to say about it here this morning. Uh, Would you pray with me one more time as we open God's word? Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for. Um, just the wisdom of your scriptures. And God, we ask uh, that you would speak to us and teach us and that you would help us to listen well here today. Lord, we we need you in a discussion like this. We need you to help us um, just rise above some of the things that we carry in and, and to find your perspective. So we give this to you in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> I think... Our best bet is, is always to look at Jesus and the life of Jesus and, and what he has to say about his topics. And Jesus did not shy away from politics. In fact, very, very early on in his ministry, in the Gospels, you can see Jesus dives right into some of the political conversation. You see, early on in his, his teaching, there's this announcement that he is the Son of God. And he begins this language of the kingdom of God is near. I'm here to bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come to restore, to redeem, to heal, to raise up the, the, those who are oppressed, to care for the widows and the orphan. These were hugely political statements in Jesus' day because as we've talked about many times before, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire was in charge. They have Jerusalem under siege and they are oppressing the Jewish people. And it is all about the Roman Empire. In fact, they call themselves the kingdom. And many of the Roman rulers referred to themselves as gods or sons of gods. So for Jesus to come on the scene and claim that he is the son of God, and he has this desire to call people to come and be a part of the kingdom of God, he's making a very clear political statement. You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, Gospel of Mark. (coughs) Now, I want to look at a passage that's kind of a famous passage when it comes to politics. One that probably you have heard or read before, maybe even to the point where the temptation for you is just going to be gloss over, zone out. heard this one before. Of course, you know, this is the one that we would use talking about politics. But recently I heard um, a pastor in New York give just unbelievable context to this passage. And it was really, really moving to me. And I wanted to bring and share some of that with you here today. So Mark chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees. And Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? So, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and the Herodians. And if you follow along through the New Testament, through the stories of the Gospels and the story of Jesus, you know that there are a number of religious and political leaders who are kind of coming around the scene. They're sort of peering in on the edges and just trying to figure out who is this Jesus? What is he about? What does he stand for? And a number of these guys have have heard some of this kingdom of God language from him and they're getting their feathers a little ruffled. They're looking to trap Jesus. They're looking to find a way to sort of break him, to find, you know, a a little bit of a slip up where they can go, ah, there it is. We can get him for that. And so in true fashion, these guys show up, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they ask this question of Jesus. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? And you see, the truth about the Pharisees and the Herodians is they represent two opposing political views. Two opposing political views. The Herodians were supporters of the Roman Empire and their empirical power. And the Pharisees were not. And so they've approached Jesus and they want to know Jesus and his politics and what he's about. What's his persuasion? Does he lean to the left or to the right, so to speak? It would be like uh, on Tuesday, if you were to be in one of the states that had one of these voting primaries, if you were to walk in and someone were just to confront you, hey, are you voting Democrat or Republican? Where, Where do you lean? And that's what's happening here is, They are trying to figure out where Jesus stands. They are asking about this tax, but it's not just any tax. It's not a general tax. It's a very, very specific tax. And we know that by how Jesus answers in verse 15. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. You see, Jesus knows this is a trick question to corner him. But nonetheless, Jesus plays along and asks them for a denarius. And this is a clue to the tax that they were asking about. You see, the Romans had all kinds of taxes set up. You know, things based on similar things that we pay taxes for. Our services, our goods, our work, our income. But then there is this one tax known as the head tax. And though it was a very small tax... It was one that was very, very irritating to the people. You see, the head tax was this annual tax of one denarius, and the tax was simply for the privilege of being the subject of Caesar. And you get to pay tax for that. And so that is the tax that they are asking Jesus about. Now, why is the question about this small tax so significant? 25 years prior to this scene that we're talking about, there was an armed revolt led by a man named Judas the Galilean. And there's three big things that that we know about Judas' life. Number one, he called on all of the Jews not to pay this head tax. Don't pay it. It's evil. Don't pay it. Number two, with an armed militia, he stormed the temple, the house of worship, And he cleansed it. He threw out all the foreigners, all the Romans, all the Gentiles with force, with a small army, with weapons. He went in and cleansed the temple. And then finally, he made a lot of big statements about the kingdom of God. God is our king, not Caesar. We are going to serve the kingdom of God, not Rome. Well, as you can imagine, the Romans were not particularly thrilled with this. They hunted Judas down, they captured him, and they executed him, along with a bunch of his followers, and the rest just sort of scattered and dispersed. So now, 25 years later, Jesus is standing before these political and religious leaders. A rabbi who has built his teaching on the foundation that he is the Son of God, and that the kingdom of God is near. He's been going all over the place, teaching disciples and followers, about being the citizens of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Then in Mark chapter 11, the chapter just before the one we're reading, Jesus cleanses the temple. He goes in and he runs out the money changers and the the people who are selling animals for sacrifice, cleanses the temple. And that brings us to this series of questioning in Mark chapter 12. So Judas the Galilean spoke about the kingdom of God. He cleansed the temple And then he demanded people not pay this head tax. So the religious leaders are watching Jesus and thinking, okay, he's two out of three. So Jesus, where do you stand? Do you pay the tax or do you not? Is this another revolution coming? Are you a revolutionary? Are you about to throw down with Rome? Jesus, where are you at on this whole tax thing? See, this was a revolutionary question, and the whole point was to draw a line in the sand and to make Jesus unpopular with one side or the other. Are you a revolutionary? See, this question is a huge trap. Because if Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, and he goes the way of of Judas the Galilean, he is instantly going to be crushed by the authorities. If he says, no, don't pay the tax, he is going to be in rebellion and they will come after him. But if he says, yes, pay the tax, the people who have been hearing him talk about the kingdom of God, the people who are following him, are suddenly going to be so deflated and, oh, this kingdom of God guy, he's not legit. And this may not feel like a a big deal to us, and I think this is where some of our, again, Western, uh, modern mindset in Scripture, we can lose some of the context here. See, when we hear kingdom of God, we tend to lean in and think about it in this spiritual sense, in this personal sense, in this, I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm part of the kingdom of God, this kind of swirling spiritual thing. In Jesus' day, they were talking about a real kingdom. A coming king, a redeemer, a rescuer, a messiah. Someone who would come, who would lift up the oppressed. Who would heal the sick. Who would help to redeem the broken. They were talking about real problems, real issues, and viewing it through the lens of a real kingdom. So if their new leader says, no, 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 I'm not, not, I'm not a revolutionary. Just, just, just pay the tax. Just roll over, pay the tax. He would lose his followers. Pay the tax, lose his followers. Don't pay the tax, get crushed by the authorities. What they want to know from Jesus is, are you a revolutionary? And are you really bringing the kingdom of God? Back to verse 15. Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And they were amazed at him. Now, oftentimes when politicians are faced with a tough question, I mean, a a hot question. They start to do their dance, right? A little bob and weave, a a little bit of dancing around, and they don't actually get to the place where they answer the question. And it becomes so frustrating for people. Just answer the question. And what I find so fascinating here with Jesus is he answers the question and the people are left in amazement. They're not frustrated. They, They see his wisdom. They see his answer is way outside of the box of what they were expecting. You see, they phrase it as a yes or no question. Jesus, should we pay the tax? Yes or no? Pay the tax? Yes or no? Where, where do you politically land? Where do you politically land? Rome or against? Republican or Democrat? Where do you land? Where are you? They want to know where Jesus stands politically with a yes or no and Jesus responds in a sense by saying, it's just not that simple. You want to know about me? You, you want to know about my, my father? You want to know about the kingdom of God and having a relationship with me? Well, see, that, that one's actually simple. That, that one I can give you a pretty clear answer on. But when it comes down to the complexities of our relationship to the state or to politics, well, that's not an easy answer. And Jesus refuses to let it become simplified. He doesn't yes or no. And he gives a complex and yet very balanced answer. And as you'll see in a moment as we unpack this, he accepts what's on the coin and its implications while also resisting what's on the coin and its demands. So before we move on, what are the implications here for us? And I think it's that we shouldn't do to Jesus what he wouldn't do to himself. We can politicize Jesus, and we can make him a part of a party or an issue. Oh, well, Republicans, that's, that's, that's Jesus' way. Democrats, that's Jesus' way. This issue, that's Jesus. That's this policy, that's... And we divide, and we, and we split things up, and we look for this really simple way to to put... These labels on it to categorize certain things. But see, the truth of, of Scripture and the truth of the issues is that we could take almost any issue and divide it one way or the other. Let's say you're passionate about the environment, being a good steward of the earth and natural resources. Well, you could open up to the first few chapters of Genesis and build a pretty good, compelling case on why that matters. And you can say, this is the most important thing to me. And this is the thing that Jesus cares about the most. And some of us would look and go, are you crazy? Voting the environment is more important than racial tension. All the chaos and things that we have, the inequalities that we have, and you feel like that's most important. No, no, no. Let me open the Bible and show you why this is most important, why God cares about this. we can easily use scripture and deep conviction to simplify many of the political positions that we care about and you can do that with a wide spectrum of issues but when it gets filtered down to state systems and government programs and republican and democrat and whatever else it gets complicated abortion and the sanctity of life republican christian issue right no 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 no, that's a god issue god cares about the sanctity of life Caring for the poor and sick. Oh, that's the left-leaning Christian liberal Democrat. No, no, that's, God actually cares about the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. He, he's clear about that. Environmental care, demo, no, that's a God issue. Being good stewards with our financial resources, no, God cares about that. Our, our sexuality, no, God cares about that. See, God deeply cares about the things that we politicize and the danger comes in. When we make it about a party, one side or the other. And when it filters down into policy or program or a stump speech or a debate platform issue, it doesn't remove God's heart from the issue or our need as Christians to embrace and become educated and get involved. But you also just can't put a simple Jesus label on it. You can't yes or no. You risk mixing up God and Caesar and see, Jesus resists political simplicity and does not want to go in a yes or no box. See, they're trying to figure out, are, are you a revolutionary? Are you going to come in like Judas did with power and force and fight and oppose Rome and go after? And he's, no, 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 I, I am a revolutionary, but I'm, I'm different. See, my revolution's going to be different. I have a different way and it doesn't fit in a yes or no box. Jesus asks for them to bring him the denarius. Verse 16. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. We have a picture of a denarius. It's a silver coin. It's not worth a lot. It's said to be about a day's wage for even some of the lowest of servants. And on it is this image of Tiberius Caesar. And the inscription says, Son of God, uh, Son of the God Augustus, Pontiff Maximus, High Priest. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. And what's so important here is the language that Jesus uses. See, when he asks for the coin, he asks, whose image is on it. The Greek that he uses here stands for the word icon. The image, the icon. Whose icon is on the coin? He looks at it. Caesar. Give it to Caesar. It has his image, his icon. Actually, it's his money. He minted it. He distributed it. Has his face on it. Give it to him. But Give to God what is God's. And in the context of image and icons, what bears the image of God? You do. And I do. And see, Romans, they believed that their authority was the ultimate authority. They believed in themselves as gods, and what they said goes, and they had ultimate, unquestionable authority. And see, this is where Jesus draws the line in the sand right back to them. Hey, give him the money. He printed it, but don't give him allegiance beyond what is owed or due. You bear the image of God. You belong to him. Your allegiance is to God. There's some more great language in here. Should we give Caesar the taxes? They they ask the Pharisees and the Herodians, they ask, Should we give? And this word that they use is meant gift or to present something. Should we gift Caesar with these taxes? And Jesus, when he answers it, he changes the verb. Now, the NIV still translates it as uh, give, but it's a complex translation. And and the King James uh, Version actually says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And, And what it means is, no, don't gift or present. Pay back what he deserves. Pay back what he deserves. Give him his money. Pay the tax. But don't give him ultimate allegiance. Don't buy in to the systems of this earthly kingdom. Jesus doesn't say, revolt and scream and charge. But he clearly is stating that he is a revolutionary that desires to be different. He does not allow his followers to opt out of the system. He says, give, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. See, he wants us to be a part. We must be a part. We need to contribute. We have a role to play. But Jesus also encourages his followers to be aware of their first allegiance and awareness that the kingdoms built by earthly politics are not the ultimate solution or answers to the issues that plague the world. You catch the irony of Jesus and the coin? It sets up this vivid image of two kingdoms for us. Tiberius is on the coin. Jesus is holding the coin. Two players, Jesus and Tiberius. Both claiming to be king. Both claiming to be son of God. Both claiming to be the high priest. One king has all the coins. The other king has none. Jesus doesn't even have a denarius for his example. He has to call and say, "Can somebody lend me a denarius? It's not like he reached into his pocket and pulled out a bunch of money and sorted through and go, okay, this denarius. No, he doesn't even have one. Luke chapter nine, verse 58. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. You see, Tiberius kingdom is built on wealth and power and success and comfort and recognition. And while Jesus has access to all of that and more, he doesn't gather all of that in, but rather he gives it away. The kingdom of earth may thrive on these things, but the kingdom of God and the revolution of Jesus thrives on giving it away. And this is the platform. Wealth, power, success, comfort, recognition. This is the platform and the basis for many of the promises of our presidential candidates. Some of them make it quite clear how much of this stuff they have. And some of them make really clear of how much of it they want to provide for you. And many of them are leaning on your fears and churning the sense of anxiousness. As if we don't act now, if we don't vote the right way, all of these things are going to be in great jeopardy. And my concern is that we could pledge a little too much faith and a little too much allegiance to Caesar in the process. The president of the United States is the highest office in the land. But it is not an office for a superhero or a god. And yet many of us are acting like we need someone in office who can solve all of our problems. And we're in big trouble if we don't get the right one there. Seriously? Is that really what we think is going to happen? Just pause for a moment, just a moment, and think back on all of the presidents that you can remember in your lifetime and their campaign speeches and promises and their run in office and how many of them were able to accomplish all the things that they were promising that they would do. None of them are able to follow through. None of them are able to come through in huge ways with all of their promises. There's a whole system of checks and balances in government that they come in and they finally go, well, that's kind of hard. Whoops. And some things don't play out in the ways that they promised. But yet in this season, we act like it's the most important stuff in the world. And right now it's like we as a nation are Ben Higgins and all the bachelorettes are presenting themselves to us and just trying to woo us in. And they're making empty promise after empty promise. And come January 20th, they'll start to be unfulfilled. Now, hear me out. I believe we should be involved. And I really do respect and am grateful for our political process. But as Condo has been saying for these last couple of weeks, and I'll repeat it again, that we should be kingdom of God, citizens first, and American citizens second. Kingdom of God, citizens first, and American citizens second. I think what Jesus is saying here, render to Caesar what's his. Be good citizens. Do your duty. Pay your taxes. Vote. Yes, even now and then, serve on jury duty. Some of you will sign up for military. Some of you will even run for office. Great. These are privileges we are currently blessed to be a part of and to use our influence to the best of our ability to shape things. We should be so grateful for politics, and we should be so grateful for our vote, because it does matter. As we begin to educate ourselves and we begin to get into the system and understand the issues, we can start to have real conversations. We can ask intelligent questions. We can approach things with grace and with peace, but from an informed place. And we can stop assuming things and we can stop reacting to things and we can stop freaking out about things because we know that God is still on the throne. But yeah, we should be grateful for our politics because the other option and the other options are not good. We could be under a, a, some form of dictatorship, but we get to be a part of the process. We just have to realize that the process is messy, and in order for earthly political process to work, it requires checks, balances, and compromises. Now, I've studied and researched every candidate, Democrat, Democrat and Republican, that are left in the race, <coughs> and I can honestly say there's not one candidate that I completely, 100% agree with across the board. I can also say There's not one candidate that I completely disagree with either. And sure, some of them certainly rise to the surface a bit more than others, but there's not one perfect Jesus candidate from my perspective. And that's where things get tense. It's so important to watch, to listen, to read, to research. It's right to desire and pray that there would be a godly leader in the White House. But at the end of the day, we should pursue our politics with proper perspective and place. Super Tuesday is going to come and go here in a couple of days, and there's going to be a tidal wave of reaction from it. Some of us are going to be really frustrated. Some of us are going to be a little celebratory. But we, can we declare right now that Super Tuesday is actually Sovereign Tuesday? that God is in control, that the kingdom of God is alive and well, and regardless of who eventually gets nominated and elected to the White House, Jesus is Lord. The passing of power from one politician to another does not change that. So why would we be so anxious? The revolution started when our king walked out of his tomb And he gave us a platform of promises to stand on that are true and are solid and are firm. And he's going to come through and he won't back down and he's not going to be defeated. And Jesus does want to jump right into poverty and hunger and sickness, sorrow, pain and brokenness and all of the issues. But he intends to do that through his church and through the kingdom of God. And we are invited to be a part of that today here and now. And I think heaven, the, the great host and cloud of witnesses, as it talks about in the Hebrews, I think they're, they're looking down with, with arms crossed. Just what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Not about the election. Not about any of these other issues we've been talking about. But about us. What is the church going to do? What is the modern day church going to do? How are they going to respond? How are they going to lean in? How are they going to show the love and grace and hope of Jesus? In the midst of such a crucial and chaotic time. Be involved. Be the best citizen you could possibly be. I would urge you to consider to become an independent voter, a kingdom voter. Don't let a party hold your allegiance over the kingdom of God. Let the word of God and the Holy Spirit guide you through the issues. Be educated. Don't let the wind and the waves toss you around like an infant. What happens when that happens? It's scary. And we can freak out and we can say and do things that we will regret. Don't do that. Don't lose influence over politics. But rather live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. We started this series in in Ephesians chapter 4. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Apostle Paul is saying, based on three chapters of promises and of truth and who you are in Jesus and what you have being a follower and a part of the kingdom of God, Oh, I just urge that you would take that and you would live a life worthy of the calling you receive. That you would let the weight of your life balance the scales. That you would be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, Jesus wants to transfer you out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. And when you're part of the kingdom of God, and when that begins to take root in you, the things of this world, wealth, power, recognition, comfort, those things begin to lose their grip. Those things will not have a hold on you. Those things can be used as resources and tools for the kingdom. And when the kingdom of God comes in and Jesus comes in and his transformative power begins to take over, you'll have this ability to begin to look around, be it to the left or to the right. Instead of seeing adversaries and enemies, you see brothers and sisters. You see humans, you see people that you want to engage with and you want to know the story and you want to understand the context and you want to say, well, why do you think that way? And what led you to that? Help me understand why this issue is so important to you. Where did you learn that? Where did you hear that from? And you can begin to engage in a loving, humble, gentle way. That's when you'll gain more and more influence for the sake of the gospel. And that's when, rather than seeing anyone anywhere as the enemy, you start to see everyone Everywhere is people that need Jesus Christ. So please be a good citizen. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Play your role. Play your part. Be a kingdom voter, a kingdom thinker. Realize that God has concerns on every side and he will guide you through them. Be a Christian first. Give to God. You have the icon of God on you. So give him what is his. You are his. He wants all of you given to all of him, no matter where that leaves you politically. And what this country really needs, what we really, really need is to see a movement of people fully and firstly surrendered to God. People who care about the environment, whether a candidate tells us to or not. People who fight for the unborn because God does. People who care about the poor because our king calls us to. In fact, come Tuesday, can we go ahead and just declare it? Sovereign Tuesday? Hashtag Sovereign Tuesday. You want to get on and post something Tuesday? Sovereign Tuesday. Let's talk about how Jesus is Lord, how God is on the throne. How we as a people are not going to let the waves and the winds take us out and toss us around like newborns. But we're going to be a part of hope and change, and grace, and love, forgiveness, being completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, in love. We have a few moments left. What I would love to do is just to take some time to pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, thank you for your unbelievable and gracious invitation for forgiveness, for grace, for the invitation to be a part of your family, to be a part of the blessings of Jesus, to be a part of the inheritance that we have through him. And Lord, I ask that you would move in us and help us to prioritize and change our life to be kingdom of God people first and Americans second. Lord, help us to hold out your hope and your truth first. Lord, regardless of what happens Tuesday, regardless of what happens in November, regardless of who is put in the office, God, may we continue to claim you as sovereign, as God on the throne, as Jesus is Lord. God, I pray that we would even be encouraged by the, the truth of history that the church of Jesus has thrived throughout all time, throughout all history, throughout all governments, regardless of circumstances, your promises and your truth have moved forward and are moving forward to the days of your forever kingdom where there will be complete peace and healing. So God, help us to play our role well. Lord, help us to be people that invite people to your kingdom and to your son. Invite people to life in Christ. God, let us not be distracted by the waves and the wind, but stand firm in the platform of your promises and truth. We love you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.